0: Okay, so you guys know what we're here for, we're going to talk about Finance 101, using biblical principles, and ironically, this is, I love God's sense of humor called coincidence, today's congregational reading was actually in my slides before I even knew what today's congregational reading is, and I believe Eric, you're reading Proverbs 31, and which has some beautiful things that I, Jennifer had suggested I add to my slide like several weeks ago, and just the coincidence that, yep, it's part of what I'm going to talk about. Um, So this is part 5, for those who have been following French 101, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, yes? Okay. By the end of this series, you'll all speak French fluently, which is great. At least you'll know how to count. Um, You guys know who I am, but this is for the online stuff. Parts 1 through 4 are available, Um, so if you guys want to go, if you missed the session or want to review some of those, they're all over the place. And more and more of you have asked for one-on-one time, please continue to ask for that. More than happy to spend time with you on this. And tax advice doesn't guarantee results. Particularly here, I'm going to talk about retirement stuff, and I'll make some assumptions on returns uh, over the long haul, and those aren't guaranteed, as we all know. So we've talked about income, getting a job or some form of income as kind of the basis for biblical financials. You need some form of income. Um, And choosing careers, diplomas, vocations, trades, whatever, that have potential outcomes that give you income. Tithing, we've talked about and continue to do that uh, as first order of business, giving back to God. Expenses, managing your expenses, having a budget, um, and just being on top of that, knowing where your money's is flowing. Um, debt, good debt, bad debt. Um, taxes, inevitable but avoidable. That's the... The one way to look at it is how can you minimize, we'll talk about that with retirement. That's one of the greatest things you can do is avoid taxes now or later, depending on which um, approach you choose, uh, and that will compound over time, particularly for those of you who still have 40, 50 years before you retire. Uh, we talked about savings, forcing the savings, not spending, deferring gratification, and making sure that money gets set aside for college, for kids, for your health, for emergency funds, for parents' health, all this stuff. You need that buffer, and you need to build it up. Um, and then now we're going to talk about retirement. That feels very far away for many of you, but for me, it's probably 10, 15 years away, hopefully sooner, um, but probably not. Um, 15 years goes by very fast from all of you. Most of you have 40, maybe 50 years ahead of you, depending on when retirement ages, when, when all you get to that, that age, that's a wonderful thing. And the long-term compounding, the concept of compounding interest, will play here uh, quite a bit with retirement. Um, then we'll talk about fun, and we'll wrap up with some administrative stuff. So retirement. If it's 30, 40, 50 years away, start now. Right? If you don't have an IRA, a 401k, if you don't have those, start now. Like literally tomorrow, open up an account. If you don't have one, do it. And I'll talk about which flavors but don't hesitate. Don't waste another week. Get it done now because this will pay off in decades from now. Life expectancy in general is going up. Longevity getting longer and longer. You're going to live hopefully well into your 90s, if not hopefully past 100, right? And that means you need enough money to live a decent quality of life and be able to stomach the inevitable health things that happen later in life. You won't necessarily be able to count on your kids to pay for your retirement. Um, Although that would be nice, but you need to plan for your own retirement. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And if you run out of money, which I'll show you a scenario where you run out of money by age 80, well, then you're going to go back and start a career again. And what do you do at 80 when, you know, you're probably not the most hireable? Although these days, maybe they'll hire anybody to do anything these days, given the job market. But you have to go find another income, a source of income. And that's really difficult to do at that, you know, advanced age. Retirement needs to be tax optimized. And there are a lot of tax laws, a lot of things that the various administrations put in place. But it's one area in general that is rather protected from a tax standpoint. Although some of the current Biden administration proposed changes may limit like super big retirement accounts. Um, there's a, one of the reasons Peter Thiel, who's one of the co founders of, I think, PayPal, if I'm not mistaken, he put some of his pre IPO stock of PayPal into a Roth IRA, which means he had already paid taxes and it was worth like a few hundred bucks. It's now worth five billion and he owes zero taxes on it. And there's some people in Congress who aren't too happy about the fact that he used the system, which was perfectly legal. Um, it's brilliant that he did that, and that wasn't a guarantee, right? When you put in pre-IPO stock, it could be worth zero. Most likely, it will be worth zero. His just happened to be worth $5 billion, and he paid zero taxes on it. Um, though that doesn't happen to everybody, but that's one of the reasons why they're trying to close some of those loopholes for like you know, very high net worth people who probably don't need a retirement account, candidly, because they probably have plenty of other liquidity. But nonetheless, he played by the rules. And long-term compounding, and I'll show you that in a couple graphs coming up, but that's really the key, is start now. Start now, and there are a couple things you should immediately do. Whether you're employed or not, you can actually do certain things, like an IRA, you can start right now. So here's an example, and there's the, these things are online. You just Google you know, IRA calculator or 401k calculator. You can go play with it. And what I like is that you can choose the different assumptions. And I, what I put here is uh, you're 23 years old, right? You will retire when you're, I said, what I put? 67. You're currently making $50,000 a year. You're, um, uh, what you're going to save is 8%. This will last for, um, you basically have nothing today. Your income will increase 2% a year. So you'll get 2% salary increase every year. And I basically do this simulation here. And it shows that if you put this money aside, it will grow and grow and grow. And then when you retire, you start burning through it because you're, you still have, obviously, expenses once you're retired. And the scenario here shows that you will actually run out of money by the age 80. And this is despite putting money aside. So you have to start thinking with that risk of you run out of money when you're 80 and there's no more income coming in. So I would encourage you to go play with these and just put in different assumptions, your age, what you, when you'll retire, what you think your salary increases might be, and you want to have a comfortable buffer for you to be able to live a normal life and now you won't have the same needs when you're 80. You probably won't be spending money on certain things, but you still have to pay rent or pay your mortgage or do something. You still have to pay taxes on some of this income. You have to feed yourself, hopefully travel, do all kinds of things, give money to your grandchildren. Um, all that is expenses that you will have. And this scenario is a pretty scary when You run out of money at 80 and if you live till you're 95 or 100, what do you do? So I'd encourage you go find some of these calculators and play with it. The, what's nice is you'll see um, with some of them, it'll also show you if you start saving, how much money you will have saved. And I'll show you an example here in just a moment. So there are a couple things you need to know. Some terms you've probably heard of. IRA, Individual Retirement Account. Okay? That is basically your own personal retirement savings account that is tax optimized. There are two flavors of it, Roth and traditional. I'll talk about it in a moment. But that's something you need to open up. If you don't have one, open up one of those tomorrow. And you can go to a whole bunch of providers, Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, virtually any bank that you're at, Citibank, you name it, um, Chase, they all have IRA programs. Um, I recommend the ones that have no fees or low fees, like Vanguard and Fidelity. They're huge. They're big. They're stable. They're never going to go out of business, or most likely will never go out of business. um, And they they basically take care of stuff for you. And that's where we've had all of ours at either Fidelity or Vanguard. Um, They're trustworthy, reliable. But shop around and see what what you like. There are two flavors. One is called Roth and one is called traditional. The traditional one is you put money in pre-tax. So it comes out of your paycheck or comes out of, you know, you can contribute from wherever. And you haven't paid taxes on that money yet. It goes in and then you can't touch it. You literally cannot touch it till you're 57 or 62 or whatever the age, retirement age will be. And when you pull it out, then you pay taxes then. So 40, 50 years from now, you have no idea what the tax rates will be then. But if you're retired, you probably don't have that much income. Therefore, your tax rate's probably lower. If you're at the beginning of your career right now, though, your tax rate may be the lowest it's ever going to be. And that's where the Roth IRA comes in. Roth IRA is you pay taxes now. So let's say your early career and you're paying 20 some odd percent tax rate. Pay the taxes now. And then that money that you put away, you will never pay taxes on it ever, ever again. And so I recommend, do the math, talk to a financial advisor, but if you're early in your career, you're young, and you have a ridiculously low tax rate compared to what it potentially could be 40, 50 years from now when you might be in a higher tax bracket, better off paying the taxes now, and then everything else just rides tax-free. All the gains are tax-free. You will never pay taxes when you pull it out. And that is a a beautiful loophole um, that's called the Roth IRA. I encourage you to actively look at that one. Given your own personal situation, that may make the most sense. That did not exist when we started putting money in IRA, so we have a traditional IRA. Um, And hopefully my tax rate will be lower when I retire than what it is now. So I'll I'll be okay at that point. But had I known, it probably would have been smart to start a Roth IRA early in my career. So what we've done for Matthew and for uh, for James is we started both on a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, but most of their money is going into the Roth IRA because their tax rate is low today, and certainly lower than it will be 40, 50 years from now. So read, read, yes, Monica. So you'll be taxed on the amount of money. Once you retire, you're taxed on the amount of money you earn when you're retired. It's not based on your previous tax rate. It's not based on the previous year. It's based on the year you retire. You're going to get money from Social Security. You're going to get money from your IRA. There's something called the required minimum distribution. So you have to start drawing down this money. Right? You can't just leave it and never touch it. You actually have to start pulling it out. When you pull it out, if that's your only income, you'll get taxed on that. And that's probably a relatively low um marginal tax rate. But you can pull out more, you'll get taxed more. If you have alternate sources of income, like you have, I don't know, real estate that you're renting out and you have income from that, you'll get taxed on that. So it really depends on how much income you have coming in. That will determine what your tax rate is when you retire. But if you have a lot of income when you retire from all kinds of other sources, like you have brokerage accounts, you have real estate, um, you still have a, a job, with their mandatory retirement age, but you might still be able to, you might still want to continue to work. If you have income from that, if you do, I don't know, consulting or you're on a board or whatever it is later, or you're still teaching, um, your tax rate will go up. And that's what you'll get taxed at, is your actual tax rate the year of the retirement income coming in. So Google this stuff, Roth and traditional. You can go simulate these. You can click up, you know, one of the little check boxes. What's the Roth version? What's the traditional version? Um, My advice is probably for most of you to lean towards a Roth IRA. Just given the average age and the average tax rate, it probably makes a lot more sense. You can put today, so this gets inflation adjusted every few years, um, you can put $6,000 away into a Roth or traditional IRA. If you're over 50 years old, they have what they call catch-up contributions, and you can put $7,000 so for somebody who's over 50 and you have another 15 years, you can actually add an extra $1,000 uh, for people who didn't start these things early enough in life. But most of you don't have to worry about that. Um, but you can put 6000 So how much should you put away? 6000 Right? If you can, do it. If you can afford to, do it. And 6000 divided by 12 months, it's a few hundred bucks every month. So I encourage you to make that kind of the way to think about it. Ooh, $6,000. I don't have $6,000. But do you have, with whatever salary or income, do you have enough to put aside $500 every month? You probably do, depending on your income. So max these things out. Automate it. Just like I mentioned, all the other things that you need to automate, you go in there and you make sure this is taken out of your bank account automatically. So you don't have to remember, put a thing on your calendar. Ooh, I forgot this month. You want this to be automatic. So it pulls out 500 bucks on the 15th of each month, starting in January all the way through December, and it just happens automatically for the rest of your life. Just do it. And then whenever the tax laws change or the inflation adjustment happens and it goes from 6 to 7 for people under 50, most of these websites do it automatically for you. If they don't, you know, late December you go and change it and say, I want it to be 7,000 for the whole year. Just make sure you adjust upwards so you're maximizing the savings. IRAs, you can actually contribute. You can do catch up stuff before the tax deadline of the following year. So, if you let's say you open an account tomorrow and you have zero in it right now, you can still actually put 6,000. You can do it between now and April 15th of 2022. And it would count towards your 2021 IRA. So, you actually have a little bit more time to get that money set aside. Now, even if you can't put 6,000, put the maximum you can between now and April. Was it will count towards your 2021 IRA contribution. So that gives you a little bit, a few more months to contribute to it. And then go search you know, Fidelity, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, all these other providers. There are a million IRAs. Go with reputable ones who will be around 40, 50 years from now. You know, The fly by night, uh, you know, Joe Schmo's IRA, probably not. Um, find just the good ones. They have plenty of stocks you can choose from. They have all these online things. You can do it from your phone. They will automate the withdrawals. They'll they'll make it easy for you. You call them, they they're pretty good with customer service. So I would recommend at least some of these. So that's on IRAs. Any questions on IRAs? Yes, Eric. Mm-hmm. Because your dollar, just because of compound interest, is worth so much yeah. more now than it will you. Yep. Right? If you just do the math out, right? If you're if you're 24, if I'm I'm 24 right now, if you're my age and you contribute one dollar to your IRA right now, assume like an eight percent return or whatever, that's worth, that's worth twenty one dollars at retirement. Yep. So every dollar you contribute is twenty one dollars. Absolutely. Account. Quick math, but it's a great way to illustrate the compounding, the power of time and compounding. So for every, every, you know, every dollar that you contribute to your IRA right now, you have over $20 in your IRA when you're 60 Yep. That's why go open the account this week. <laughs> we talked about it on Friday. Um, you, know, you just open up these accounts quickly. Josh, do you have a question? Yeah, I don't know if you're going to go into 401k. Yep, that's next. That's coming up next. Um, and with, with an IRA, basically, it's money you put into um, a vanguard or Fidelity, and then you can invest those, or you can have them invest them for you, and you can buy stock, mutual funds, ETFs, gold. I mean, you can buy a whole bunch of stuff. There are some things called self-directed IRAs. You can buy, we talked about this yesterday, you can buy art, you can buy real estate. That's a little complicated, but it is possible. You can put in pre-IPO stock like Peter Thiel did. Um, let's keep it simple. You basically invest in stocks, and at your age, invest in stocks. Because you're going to ride the market for the next 40 years, and you're going to do well. Later in life, you probably want to tone down the risk profile of your IRA investments. Um, But for the first 30 years, go aggressive. There's really very little to lose. So here's an example. Um, So you have zero in your IRA now. This is a Roth IRA. So this is money that you've already paid taxes on. So it's kind of tax, tax deducted already. And you're, you're going to put in your 6,000, You're 23, you're going to retire at 65, expect 7% return. And here again, you can assume the stock market does this, that or the other, but on average, historically, it's roughly done, done that. Your marginal tax rate is 24%. Here again, just picking an uh, arbitrary number. And you contribute $267,000 over the course of your life. What it's worth by the time you retire is $1.5 So you put in 200 and some odd thousand, you retire with $1.5 and you don't have to pay taxes on it. You get 1.5 millions with no tax too. That's the power of basically 42 years of compounding. Now the cost of living 42 years from now will be higher with inflation, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully by the time you retire, you don't have that many expenses. You've paid off your mortgage. The kids gone through college. You're just showering gifts on your grandchildren. You know, you do the occasional travel, but your, you know your expense run rate is pretty low or much lower, hopefully, than kind of the in your 40s when you've got kids, kids' college, mortgage, cars, all kinds of stuff. That shows you the power of compounding and tax optimization. And that, all of a sudden, that's real money. And you can live off of that. If you start later, you can play with the, these calculators. You start later, well, the number comes down quite dramatically. So the sooner you start, 23 is an arbitrary age, but if you're 18, start at 18. If you're 24, start now. Don't wait. So let's talk about 401k. 401k, it just happens to be the, the name, the label in the tax law. 401k is a company-sponsored retirement plan. So it's the same thing as an IRA, but IRA is individual retirement account. 401k just happens to be one that your company sponsors you. This was a, tra- a shift in corporate America from company pension plans, which many of the large old-school companies had, where they kind of guaranteed you're going to be there for life, and therefore, when you retire, the company was going to pay you a pension, those either have gone belly up or exist, but only for long-time retired employees. They don't do it anymore. I don't think any company does actively, you know, pension plans. So what you have is a four hundred one k, which is the same thing. You save money. The beauty is the company actually matches some of that, and you invest it, and then you don't touch it till you retire. Now there's some other puts and takes, but in general, it's the same thing as an IRA. It just happens to be company-sponsored. So join a company, and you'll check out what their four hundred one k plan is. For if you're a teacher, there's some other professions where it's called a 403B. It's the same thing, right? It's just a slightly different tax um, code thing, but it's the same concept. This is money you put aside, your company matches, you invest it, and it's your money. But it just happens to be that the company's managing the plan uh, on your behalf. This one, you can put $19,500 away a year. That's the current tax law. And if you're over 50, you can add $6,500 on top of that that's a lot of money. Now, not everybody can afford to put that maximum, but once your income gets to a certain point, I would highly encourage you to max it out. Because most companies will, I'll get to that in a moment, most companies will match. So you put in nineteen five, they may put in another seven or 8,000 free money. A lot of companies do that. A 50% match, and they're literally just giving you free money. And there are a whole bunch of tax reasons for them and employee retention, all these other things. And there's quite a bit of competition between employers to make sure they have an attractive 401k plan. So when you join a company, ask them about the 401k. Ask them when you're eligible. So in some cases, you join a company, you're not eligible until your first year of employment. But maybe you can use that as a negotiation thing. Well, could I be eligible six months in? Because this other company is letting me be eligible six months in. Or can I be eligible day one? Find out what the eligibility is For a 401k, and given the job market, you probably have a little bit of leverage to pull that one off, right? And then there's a second thing called vesting. When does the money actually become yours for the matching part? So the company's giving you money. If you leave, they're going to say, "Well, hang on. You know, we matched a bunch of stuff. We were counting on you to stick around. So you may not get that portion if you leave too quickly." So I know Eric, you and I talked about find out what the vesting is. Um, when the money that the company matches actually becomes yours. And that can be three years, that can be one year. That, you know, it's not infinite, but they want to have a, a little bit of a claw in you that if they're giving you free money, they kind of would like you to stay an employee, right? Which makes sense. 401ks in most companies offer traditional and Roth 401ks. So the same guy called Roth, same plan. You can either contribute pre-tax, which is a traditional 401k. So you get your salary and then money gets pulled out, goes into this 401k account, and you don't pay taxes on it until you retire and you pull it out. Roth, you get your salary, you pay taxes, you have some money, you contribute to a Roth 401k, and you will never pay taxes on that ever again. So same thing. If you're early career, low marginal tax rate, you're probably better off with a Roth 401k today. All right. So here again, do the math, but the, the same principle applies to whether you want to do it pre-tax, traditional, or post-tax, Roth Roth four hundred one k. Yep. Yep. Not all companies offer it, but most of them do. So I know uh, Matthew, for example, in his new job, he's he's doing a Roth four hundred one k. Okay. I, I thinking, like, do so double check the plan and who the. Um, uh, the provider is. So if it's a Fidelity or Vanguard, either your company allows it and the provider has to um, have that program. If they have it, do the math on your marginal tax rate. And if you have a current 401k, you can stop the current 401k and, can, and go to a Roth 401k. And then we'll talk about what you do with a 401k when you leave your employer, because ultimately that's you're going to clean it up. You don't, And most of you will change employers several times during your career. You don't want like 12 401k programs just floating out in the, in, you know, the ether. You want to Roll those over. We'll talk about that in a moment. But go go check if they have a Roth program. Based on your tax situation, that may be uh, more optimized for you. So vesting period we talk about is find out when does the money become yours. Because if you leave the company, you may be leaving behind a chunk of money that was free. And there's a little you know if, if the date is whatever and you're thinking of leaving, and eh, maybe push out your <laughs> exit date by a couple of weeks just to make sure that money's yours. Yeah. I stayed for like a year and, and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you walked away from free money. So, yeah, because I was like, I was looking at my account and I called the person. I was like, it says I have invested amounts, but like, what's going on there? And she was like, oh, yeah, you just need to stay for like two years. And I was so upset with myself. Yep. So, yeah. so find that out. <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things you find out later. that When you go into the 401k program, find out what the vesting is on the matching, right? So, it's, it's one of those checkbox items. Just find out. Um, here again, automatic contributions. Make sure it comes out of your paycheck automatically. Fire and forget. You set the percentage or set the dollar amount, and it gets pulled out, and you don't touch it ever again. Right? If the 195, which you're allowed to put, goes up because of inflation and tax laws, adjust it. Most of these 401k places will adjust it automatically. Right? If your salary goes up, and you've put a percentage of your salary as your contribution, they'll adjust that too automatically. Just make sure you're maxing out, if you can, to the 19.5 don't miss out because the matching is also matching how much you put in therefore the more you put in the more the company gives to you for free right if you lowball this number the company's going to lowball its matching so you're giving up twice on the savings potential same thing you'll invest in mutual funds etfs stocks gold whatever same exact principle usually the same exact funds that you have access to with your ira so here again, the tax advisors or the investment advisors will say, put, put these funds, you can play around with that. You can actually choose different funds in your 401k from your IRA, and you can do all, all kinds of stuff. If you want to be more aggressive here, less aggressive there, that's up to you to, or just let the investment advisor tell you what, what they suggest. This one, you don't have till April. This one, you have to do it within the calendar year, the 401k year, which is your employment year. So if you're going to contribute 19.5, you get it done before December 31st of the current year you can't catch up in January. That just starts the clock ticking on the new 19.5. So if you just started a job, um, if you can, I mean, that's a little bit of belt tightening. If you've got like four months of runway, if you can put 19.5 in four months, great. Probably means you don't have much take-home pay for four months, but you get the benefit of the matching and getting the full 2021, you know, benefit of 2020 of 19,500. If you can't, just do as much as you can in the last three, four months of the year, and then January first, you start. You plan to do the full year contribution of 19.5. So you take 19.5 divided by 12 of so the 12 months. That's how much you should be putting in every single month. If you're paid every two weeks, you divide by 24, and that's every paycheck. That's you put one twenty-fourth of 19.5. So it just comes out of your um, your income statement or your um, payroll. So the key is do both, right? Don't pick one or the other. Do both. If you're employed and your employer has a 401k or 403b, do that. That's a no-brainer. It's free money. It's 195. It's free money that they match. And do the IRA. And the IRA, you can start literally tomorrow, whether you're employed or not, whether your employer has a 401k. Do the IRA thing starting tomorrow. And the minute you're employed, do a 401k or 403b. But do both in parallel, because both will end up contributing to your retirement. And I'll give you the other reason why you want an IRA account, is when you not only automatically contribute, but when you leave your employer, don't leave the 401k plan with the employer. It's yours. But when you retire at age 65, you may not remember all the companies you worked for. You may not remember, maybe the company, you know, is like disappeared and you're like, how do I find my login? How do I, whatever. You want to roll these things over to your own IRA. So you're allowed to tax-free move anything you've accumulated, including the company matching, from your 401k into your IRA, then it's yours to manage, yours to control. So I've done that every time I change companies within two weeks, I roll over from the 401k into my own individual IRA. So everything gets centralized in one account that I then manage. So Jennifer just changed teaching jobs. We did it within like a week of her leaving the previous school. Boom, you trigger the rollover. It's pretty easy. It's a little bit of paperwork. But it, it literally, it's a tax-free event. It just gets moved over and invested into your IRA account. And you want to do that every single time. You don't want straggling 401k things that you'll, you've forgotten about 30 years from now. Where is that you know, statement? You don't want that. Can you roll over your holdings and not just like sell things? Depends. So if you're, rollo- if you're rolling over from, let's say, a Vanguard-held um, 401k as the custodian to your Vanguard IRA, they usually can give you a, a one-for-one match on the, the stock. Um, more often than not, they will have to liquidate. If, um, Jennifer, yours was at, uh, who was it at? Uh, Met, uh, somewhere. Right. Let's say it's, you have one at Fidelity and your your 401k is at Fidelity and your IRA is at Vanguard. They will have to sell all your holdings. Yep. Uh, at least stock holdings. Some things like uh, um, real estate or... Um, promissory notes or other things or art, you should, those you can actually probably just roll over intact, but stock usually gets sold. So you trigger capital gains, but it, depending on whether it's a Roth or a not, you'll, you'll have to pay taxes on But that, that usually you can't um, keep the same stock that you owned. Now you can, on the same day, you, you get the money, you could buy that stock again and reset your base. But yeah, usually that's a, um, you wipe out the, the holdings that are lined up. So do this every time you change employers. Do it within a week or two. Don't forget, that's on your checklist because the the employer will not remind you. They have no interest in reminding you. I will try and remind you, but if you change jobs, change employers, um, or just leave your company and aren't working, roll it over. Make it yours. Put it in your IRA so you have one place to go, one account. All your money is in one account. Does your 401k uh, amount count against the 6,000 limit in your IRA? No. You, ro- you roll over your 401k, it does not um, limit the 6,500 that you can put in, or 6,000 you can put in every year. So let's say you have a 401k after 10 years at the same company, and you have $150,000. You move that 150000 into your IRA, you can put 6,000 into your IRA as your normal annual contribution. Okay, so you put in that you can put in? The one hundred fifty will roll over, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't eliminate your option to put in $6,000 yeah, right. So that's the other beauty is that you, you're you putting it in and it doesn't eliminate the 6,000 and you're not like disqualified, right? Because it's your money and it's, and now you can only roll over a Roth into a Roth or a traditional into a traditional. You can do some conversions, but then you're going to trigger taxes, which at some point may make sense, but that's, here again, financial advisor should tell you whether to do that or not. The math you need to do is back of the envelope is when you retire, you should have about 10 to 12 times your annual income in your IRA account. So by the time you retire, let's say, I don't know, you're, well, that's 40 years from now, so who knows with inflation, but let's say, argument's sake, you're making $100,000, like that's your last year of income, is $100,000 per year. You need 10 to 12 times that sitting in your IRA to be able to comfortably live for the next 15 to 20 years. And probably beyond by the time you guys retire, you're going to have 30, 40 years of retirement, right? You retire at 60, you live till 100, you got 40 years. So you may need more than 10 to 12 times. But that's the target. You need a target to know how much do I need to be saving now? What do I have to assume the stock market's going to do so I have enough and I don't run out of money when I retire? 10 to 12 is kind of today's math. You guys are going to live hopefully a lot longer than the current generation and cost of living will go up. You need to do that math to know are you saving enough? And the likely answer is no. So start early and save as much as you can um, so that you have a shot at having enough money to comfortably live and deal with health things and all these other, all the other life events. So any questions on retirement? More than happy to do some stuff offline, but my first word of encouragement is go open up an IRA account if you don't have one. Open it up tomorrow. And just put, you know, 100 bucks, whatever it is. If your employer has a 401k, contribute as the maximum you can. If you have a straggling 401k from a previous employer, roll it over this week. Don't wait. And yeah, it's a little bit of paperwork and whatever. You'll be happy you did it. Because 40 years from now, you'll be like, I remember that Jolet guy said to roll over my 401ks and I've got like 15 401k programs to go roll over and that will be a nightmare. So you want to make sure you do it now when it's easy and you just have one to deal with. Any questions on retirement? Now, most countries in the world do not have basically a a very capitalist way of saving for retirement. Most countries have Social Security, government pension plans, and they don't have the benefit of your retirement money actually playing in the stock market. And that's one of the the unique models in the world is the American retirement model. And you you may think, oh, this is some big government program. This is probably the best program there is in the world. Right? unless you're living in i don't know Singapore um, where they have a very generous pension plan, but in France, basically the money comes out of your paycheck and it goes to some government agency and they don't actually invest it. The government kind of manages your money and then pays you a pension a retirement thing. Um, it may not be the best return, and you don't control it right so consider this a huge benefit of living in a um, you know stock market centric capitalist uh, economy is you actually get to choose where you put your money and your money goes back into the economy and contributes to growing the economy so for me, this is a win win um, as opposed to having your money sit in some pension plan that 's government controlled let 's talk a little bit about fun so when you 've done all the other things, so when you 've made money, given back to God. Paid your expenses and minimized your expenses, paid off your debt, paid your taxes, saved money, and put money aside for retirement. What's left? That's what you get to have fun with, if there's anything left. (laughs) And remember, fun is at the bottom of the list here. It's not the second thing, like, oh, I made money, I'm going to go blow it on something. No, right? It's something that has to be a consequence of all the other choices in life, Right? And, you know, the, the biblical recommendation, yeah, sir, have fun, have parties, have, you know, go enjoy, you know, dinner out with friends, but do all the other stuff first. Give to God first, be planful, you know, be, don't be um, slothful. I mean, all these things that let you check off, check off all the line items there before fun. Now, you should still have fun, um, enjoy life, but an enjoyable life also means you have a healthy financial life you're not worrying about it. It's not keeping you up at night. You're not kind of winging it saying, oh, retirement, I'll worry about it when I'm 60, right? The peace of mind that comes with having a healthy financial life is very precious, right? Um, Remember to give back, right? Part of the fun is also giving. So giving to your church, giving to family, friends. Better to give to all those people than to the IRS. You have to give the IRS some because inevitably they come after you, but Wouldn't you rather give to some other cause, some other friend, some other reason, right? Kind of spread the the fun, enjoy the fun. Um, Delayed gratification, right? Don't just spend the money because you have it, save it. If you have excess money, put it in the IRA, put it in the 401k, put it in a brokerage account, right? Save for a rainy day or save up for those big life events, buying a house, buying a car, sending a kid to college, right? That's also part of the fun is planning ahead, for those big events because the day you buy that first house, the day you buy that first car, the day you send your kid to college because that's part of the fun is planning for that. Live within your means. Don't have fun you can't afford. Right? So no bad debt. Don't put it on the credit card just because you really feel like it because that will catch up with you. You'll pay interest on it. You're preventing the savings through retirement. And when you're 65, say, oh boy, I really had fun 40 years ago. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. Another thing, for those of you who are married, um, this has to be a joint effort, right? And actually, Proverbs today that we're going to talk about, um, that's exactly what it is. You need to do this as a couple, right? The number one reason for divorce is money, right? So, whether both spouses have a job or not, it doesn't matter. It's still something you should do as a couple because you're planning for. Kids, you're planning for a house. You're planning for college. You're planning for retirement. Um, statistically, women outlast the men in terms of longevity. And if the man is the main breadwinner, you have to make sure that there's enough money for when you pass away, for your spouse to continue to live on. In some cases, for many, many more years. Right. So you need to do this planfully together if you're married, or when you get married. Um, Today we're going to talk about Proverbs 31, so I think Eric's doing the congregational reading, so I won't steal his thunder, um, but I find that this passage, Jennifer suggested I put this in here, because it really calls out the role that um, the, the, the um, woman of, of um, noble character plays in the household. And it's a very strong biblical role, and that's true for the household finances, how you run the house, how you run the retirement, how you run the savings, how you run the expenses. It needs to be done together, right? It's not something, oh, just the husband does it and don't involve the wife in the discussions, the decisions. No, it's something you need to do together as a couple and start doing that early when you're married um, or when you're planning on getting married. Have that conversation. Have that money conversation early. I'm not saying get a prenup. That's a <laughs> different conversation, all right? But this is so this is a lifelong task as a couple. And it should be fun, sometimes stressful, um, but it's something that you should make a regular conversation. You don't need both of you to do taxes, right? One can do the taxes, et cetera. But you should talk about big decisions. You should talk about retirement. You should talk about jobs and careers and income and tithing as a, a healthy part of a of a couple, a biblical couple. So I'll let Eric do the, the reading later on, and I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about this. But I, that's a, it's a beautiful passage, and it's a, it's a funny coincidence that it's today's reading. Uh, so this is the list I want to wrap up with kind of some uh, budgeting and administrative stuff, which sounds not that interesting, but it's essential um, to kind of put a, a bow around all this. Um, start with a budget. If you don't have a budget, you don't know, kind of, you're flying blind you don't know where the money's going. Um, Eric and I spent some time over the last few weeks actually you know, looking at their budget. And it's great. It gives you insight. Where's the money going? Ooh, I didn't know, you know, when you add all this up, that's a lot of money going out to this thing. Or, hey, I can't really do without this. And it's it's just good visibility. It's like an x-ray into your financials. So do a budget. Um, and you look back the last three months, last 12 months, whatever you data you have, just get some history. And then start with, okay, well, I'm going to assume 100 bucks a month in, I don't know, MTA, you know, subway stuff, and $14.99 on Hulu, and Netflix, and Amazon Prime, and what else do you guys have? For <laughs> <laughs> He's got them all. <laughs> um, and then there's that 50-30-20 rule. So there are the, the things that you have to spend on, right? So taxes, house, you know, rent, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then the things that, you know, you, you'd like to, and then whatever's left over is your, are your savings, Right? So make sure you start with I need to save this much. I need to put this much aside for the IRA, this much aside for the 401k, this you know, save all this money, 529 plan. Then these are the the incompressible unavoidable expenses like my rent, my food, that stuff. And everything else is kind of the oh, nice to have. That's the fun part. If you don't have this visibility into your monthly and annual expenses, you are flying blind and you're probably burning a hole in your pocket and spending more than you can afford and definitely not saving what you should be saving. That's usually where it goes, is that you don't actually put the effort into saving enough early enough, because you're overspending, right? So get a budget, and just take an Excel spreadsheet or a piece of paper, it doesn't matter. Big buckets, doesn't have to be you know 200 lines long, it can be 15 lines long. Here are the big categories, where the money's going. Just look at your last credit card statements, bank statements, write it down or get one of those, you know, software like Quicken or or QuickBooks or whatever you want to use and just track it there. So the 50-30-20 rule we talked about, just make sure you have these buckets, these categories. What do I really need to spend on? What would I like to spend on? And what do I really um, can't afford? Where should I stop spending on things that, honestly, today, given income, lifestyle, et cetera, I just can't afford? Let me go, Okay, so this is the admin side of it, but I these are things that will come back and bite you if you don't do them. Keep all your records, all your statements, and try and keep them electronically. So PDF versions, I mean, go, go e-file, so don't have people send you actual pieces of paper anymore. Hopefully you don't, but save a tree. But also get the, the PDFs and put a name that you will recognize. So put, no, Citibank checking October 2021, and put it in a folder. Right? Because then you can search for it, and you have it electronically. Because what happens is, first of all, when you file your taxes, you need these documents. If the IRS comes and audits you, they're going to ask you for five or seven years worth of these documents. It's just a lot easier. You can just copy paste. Right? So download the statements. Right? Download all these statements. Keep them in folders. It costs you zero to put them in a folder on your computer. Right? So have these documents. And give them a name, not just some of the gobbledygook you know, file names that they have. Give it a new name so you can search for it. right? And try and be consistent. Like if one one document you call it Citibank Checking, and the next one is City Check, eh, not great. Try and call it the same thing. Put a date on it. Right? Just be rigorous in keeping your documents uh, organized. Keep all of your official documents up to date and renewed. And that means things like driver's license, passport, state ID, social security number. Do you have all these documents? in a single place do you have pictures of them on your phone in a hidden folder right do you have all these things if you don't have a piece a valid piece of id technically that's you know you can't do much no actually you can vote i think apparently (laughs) you can vote without any id but you can't do anything else in this life you can't rent a car you can't buy a house you can't get on a plane you can't do anything without id if you, if you have a passport, if you're planning on traveling, you can't have a passport that's expiring in less than six months. If you don't have a valid driver's license, if you haven't renewed it, if you don't have a state ID, you need something. Have all these documents. Have pictures of them, right? Have PDF versions or JPEG versions or whatever on your phone in a hidden folder, right? Have them with you or have backups in the cloud, Put the expiration dates for all of these documents on your electronic calendar. So we have a lot of passports just because of all the nationalities that I have. So we have 11 passports between the four of us. There's always one of them expiring, just statistically, right? I have every single one of our passports on the calendar, even if it's like 2032 on July 14th, it's on there. And it reminds me nine months before it expires to go and get it renewed because I don't want a passport that's less than six months valid which means you have time to go renew your passport or go to the consulate or go wherever you are. Yep. I can get the passport renewed. Do that with driver's license, do that with every other document. If there's an expiration of the document, put it on your calendar and don't have it remind you the day before, right? Usually it's three or six months to get something renewed. There's a huge backlog in passport renewals, right? Because of COVID. And if you're planning on traveling or need a valid driver's license, you get, you show up to rent a car and you don't have a valid driver's license. Well, good luck. They won't say, oh, we trust you. No, they want a valid driver's license. You want to open up a banking account, anything. You need a piece of ID that's valid. So get e-statements. Don't um, have physical mail also because you will move. Most of you will not be in the same apartment or same house five years from now, 10 years from now, yet your mail will still go there. And mail forwarding, nice and all, but doesn't always work. right? So get the stuff sent to you by email, because your email will probably still be the same one 20, 30, 40 years from now, if we still have email by then. Um, but make sure you get everything electronically sent to you and just eliminate the paper. So you don't have to send a change of address and you know, some tax form that got sent to your old address from three lives ago. And all of a sudden the IRS is like, where is that document? It's like, oh, I never got it. Well, because you mailed it. You had it mailed to an old address. So change that to electronic only. Passwords. As you start opening up these IRA accounts, 401k accounts, you're going to have more and more passwords. And each one of them is a little different. You need a capital letter, a special symbol, a bunch of numbers. um, And so you're going to start forgetting these. Um, I don't say put them on a post it and stick it in front of your computer, probably not wise. But get a password manager. Because over the course of your life, you will have hundreds of passwords. There's all these different accounts the credit card, the bank, the mortgage, the car, the college payment system, your 401k, your IRA put them somewhere in an encrypted file so you have them and you have backups in the cloud, right? Because if you don't have the password, they probably won't give it to you. And if you pass away, by the way, you want to make sure your spouse knows where to get those passwords. And I'm only, I'm not kidding at all, actually. If I pass away, I want to make sure Jennifer has the passwords to every one of the accounts. Because today I have them, you know, I I usually do all the, the financial stuff and all the passwords, but if I pass away, how does she get into all of our accounts? She needs those. So make sure you know where those passwords are and you put them in a encrypted file on some cloud thing on some drive somewhere, um, and there are password managers that can do that for you. Most of you probably heard of something called the FICO score. That is your credit score. If you haven't heard of it, you should probably go check what your FICO score is. This is what is usually used to give you a loan, a mortgage. It's your credit worthiness. So it's your lifestyle. It's how often you've paid back your credit card stuff. It's It's a whole bunch of... Calculations, and a FICO score can be—I think the maximum is um, 800—and you basically want to have the highest FICO score so that you get a mortgage at the best rate possible, and they trust you. Right? How do you create that? Well, over time, you create a credit history. So you pay off your credit card on time. You don't have too much credit card debt. You pay your mortgage on time. You never skip a payment. That will build up your credit score. And the better credit score you have, the more credit worthy you are, which means they will give you a larger loan at a better rate. So you want to know what your FICO score is. You don't want to ping it too often because that actually shows that you're worried about it. uh, And they will check that. But you want to go check your credit score. And most banks will give you your FICO score as a free service. So I know Citibank does. So you go in to your checking account and you say, what's my FICO score? It'll show you your FICO score. And you just want to know what it is. And you want to try and improve it over time. And you do that by paying down credit cards, paying stuff on time, paying your mortgage, um, having a normal credit building uh, lifestyle. Um, so make sure you do that. That's one, another compelling reason to pay down credit cards and never miss a payment. If you just pay the interest and don't pay, pay down the, the, the principal, that brings down your credit score. And the day you want to buy a house, you want the best score possible so that you get the best mortgage at the lowest rate, Right. And these are things, not all of you are going to worry about it right now, but 10 years from now, when you do buy that house or do buy that car, or take out that student loan, you want your credit score to be in prime position, right? So you get the best interest rate. This is something, at some point, you should also worry about the inheritance that your kids will have, right? Estate planning. Now, that's something in the tax laws that's changing literally every administration, but it's something you want to work on. When you're about to have kids, you want to start thinking about How do we plan for our kids to inherit? You know, once we retire, once we die, how do we pass on money we've accumulated, real estate, other things to the next generation? And that's something I encourage you to do. When you're about to have kids, start thinking about estate planning. Go talk to an estate planning lawyer, and you can create in the United States something called a trust. um, And you can start putting some of your assets into a trust, which protects it from certain taxes. And sets, you can still use them. You can still use all, you can have your house, your apartment in the name of the trust. But it means that when you die, that can get passed on without estate taxes. Because here again, IRS, Uncle Sam is very good at taxing you with everything that happens in life. And death is one of those events where Uncle Sam comes in and takes his fair share of whatever you left over, unless you planned for it through estate planning. So it's a somewhat complicated subject matter, but at some point when you're about to have kids, go talk to an estate planning lawyer and just spend an hour. Usually they'll give you an hour for free or half an hour for free. They'll say, here's what we suggest you do. Set up a trust. And it's a lot of paperwork. You have to sign a bunch of stuff, but it allows you to, and at the same time you do a will and a power of attorney. So a will is, you know, when I die, I want the things to be divided this way. Um, and power of attorney, uh, usually a health uh, recommendation is, if I am kind of brain dead and on, you know, don't, sustain my life or donate my organs or whatever you want to put in there, get that document also done, right? And then a the state lawyer will usually be able to do power of attorney and the health uh, directive, as it's called, a will and a trust. All signs kind of like, oh, that's really far in the distance. Yeah, it happens, right? Better to do it early. So I would encourage you to go find an estate lawyer at some point to get that, that paperwork done. And when you buy a house, you put it in the name of the trust. When you open up bank accounts, you put it in the name of the trust. And this is just some of the admin stuff you can you can clean up. Only use credit cards that you can track electronically, right? Don't have stuff that's you have to do it manually. So if you can download them into Quicken or have them online, make sure all of these transactions, you get them imported into this Quicken thing because that allows you to track, therefore do a budget, right? It's really easy to just say update all my accounts and it updates everything including all the credit card transactions and then you can put codes on them. Usually it'll recognize, hey, this was food, this was going to the movies, this was... You know, plane ticket, and it just categorizes it by buckets, and all of a sudden you push a button and say, What, was my, what, what should my budget be? So use the power of uh, computers and electronics that you, you don't have to go in and re input everything manually. Most credit cards, most banks will let you import all these transactions automatically. Remember that a debit card is the same thing as cash, right? Debit card takes the money out of your account. So it's not a credit card, it's debit. Now, it's maybe safer to use a debit card because it's real money that's taken out of your account and therefore you're not living off of credit. Um, a credit card is debt. And unless you pay it off systematically every month, you're incurring interest. So the preference is use a debit card because it's just rather than using cash, you're using a debit card. Or use a credit card that gives you miles or whatever it gives you, you know, uh, on some airline, but then pay it off. So use it just like you would a debit card. You get the float. It basically doesn't take it out of your account until the end of the month or the middle of the month but don't incur the interest. So make sure that you optimize here. Again, if you have too many credit cards, your FICO score will go down. So eliminate, cut them, literally cut them and stop them because you'll incur fees or you'll be tempted. Have one or two cards. You don't need that many cards in life. You have a debit card and you have a credit card, and that should be plenty. And avoid the interest because they will get you. If you don't pay it, if you miss a payment, if you overspend, they will charge you an arm and a leg. And arm and a leg is 14, 15, 24, 30%. And that's just silly to waste that money and give it to a bank when you could have avoided that. And then go get a program. Go, go get Excel if your life is very simple or go download Quicken or whatever other, you know, there are a bunch of other uh, financial programs out there to track all of this. Start with one of them and just get the discipline of uploading, you know, all your transactions, your IRAs, your, every account, every credit card, everything you do, you should be able to link into one of these programs and then it's super simple to track. You can do graphs and charts and bars and budgets. Um, Just make your life simple with the power of using a computer to manage your budgets. Don't get a physical check from your employer. Have it directly deposited so it's in your account automatically. Do the auto-tithing. We've talked about that. Just make sure that comes out automatically. It's a lot simpler for me to administer the church stuff, but it'll just make it a recurring automatic thing for you. Um, auto-save everything. So whether it's your IRA, the 529, the unified gift to minors, 401k, get those things automatic. So they just come out. You don't have to think about it because you will inevitably forget. So just make sure these things come out every single month or every two weeks when you have a paycheck. Just set it and forget it for the rest of the year. And then update it usually in December. Update it for the next year. If you have a salary increase, if, if you have a bonus or whatever, you update these things. But otherwise you do it once and leave it ride it for the rest of the year. Same thing with debt. Put in place a way to automatically pay off any credit card debt you have. Just set it up. Don't just wait, oh, I had a good week. You know, I'm going to go put it in. No, just do it automatically. So it just chips away at the debt and finally eliminates it at some point. And then if you can, your bills too. Just have everything automated. It's one less thing, one less hassle, one less thing to worry about. just get everything automated on your computer. Um, otherwise you will, you will forget, you'll miss a bill, something will get shut down, you'll incur a tax thing if you don't have these things automated. So that was budgeting and administrative stuff. Let me close off with, uh, we're actually going to end series five, that's good. Um, pray about this stuff, right? And refer to the Bible. There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible on how to manage finances. It doesn't talk about IRAs and 401ks, but it does talk about being good stewards of the money you have and planning for the future and retirement. All that's in the Bible. So refer to the Bible and pray about this. If you have money issues, pray about it, but also talk to people, talk to brothers and sisters in, in the church. We've all been through our own personal experiences with finance, and probably some wisdom can be shared. Mistakes that I've made, happy to tell you to avoid those mistakes. You can make your own new mistakes, but don't make my mistakes. Right? Um, work as a couple right? Don't be alone in managing your finances. If you're married, do it together, right? It's important. It's biblical. um, And two people are usually smarter at looking at these financial uh, issues. And encourage each other and push each other. It's like, hey, we're about to have a kid. Did you open up that 529 plan? Oh, no, haven't done it yet. Well, let's do it, right? Encourage each other as a couple. Learn Go to, you know, look at, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube, Google stuff, ask for advice. There's a, there are a ton of resources, way more resources than when I was your age on this. You know, I had the benefit of my father-in-law, so Jennifer's dad, he gave me a lot of this advice, but it was verbal. Now you can just Google this stuff, right? Go to the Vanguard or Fidelity websites, go to all these websites, you can see, they can explain Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA. There's a ton of resources out there. Use time, don't wait, right? Literally do stuff this week, like tomorrow, Monday. Fidelity and Vanguard are open tomorrow, right? Put in place a plan to pay down your credit card debt, right? Do this literally this week. Get it done. And don't forget to start off by doing God's work with your money, right? It's not ours to begin with. It's his. So give back to him. Do good things with your money. Be good stewards of it, but do God's work first and foremost, and everything else usually God will take care of and will provide. And last resource is talk to me. Right? If any of this was either completely um, obtuse, <laughs> nobody understood it, or if you're like, I didn't quite understand this point, or hey, I want to sit down and talk about a plan, talk to me. I'll spend time with you. and more than happy to share how to go about. I'll send you homework. For those of you who spend time with me, I always send a follow-up email with homework. I'm going to hold you to it um, because that's I want to invest in you so that you, 40, 50 years from now, Eric was asking me this on Friday, said, you know, how can I repay you? The best thing you can do is actually to pass this forward. Do this to your kids. Do this to your grandkids. Do this to your brothers and sisters in Christ at wherever church you're in. My hope is that you will do what I'm doing now. You'll do this for the next generation and add all of your lessons learned, all of your wisdom, all the mistakes you will have made. You can tell them, avoid those. Um, And when you do retire, I'll probably be dead by then, but you might actually Hopefully not, but let's say if you retire in about 50 years, I probably will be dead. Um, But hopefully you'll still remember this, and that's actually the best way you can thank me, is to remember this, apply it, and then pass it on, right, in a godly and biblical way. That's it. That concludes our series. Thanks.